My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 13 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. Hey everybody, really looking forward to this week's show as we attack the hills from a slightly different angle this week. Rene is going to chat to us about how cross-country running can have a super positive impact on our trail and mountain running. Simon brings us up to date on all the latest results and talks us through a head-to-head battle he had with Mother Nature last week as he attempted to get through the full 200 kilometers of the Kerryway Ultra course in his own solo challenge. And we've got a fascinating interview with Laura O'Driscoll, one of the strongest all-rounders out there, a fierce competitor at weekends and a yoga teacher during the week. On top of all that, we've got our first competition too. But in the meantime, let's get our running gear on. Let's go. Welcome everybody and just as we are recording word has come true that Sarah McCormack has won the prestigious Nazigo trophy in Italy a race which also doubled up as the Italian championships so for Sarah to beat a host of the very best Italians as well as the world champion Lucy Morigi is an incredible result for Sarah on top of that Zach Hanna came second in the vertical race the day before so to see the Irish athletes ride up there and beating the best the Italians have to offer is really an incredible result for Zach and for Sarah so really well done to them if you want to know more about Sarah and Zach Sarah joined us for episode 3 and Zach joined us for episode 9 so do go and check those episodes out you can find them on Castbox Apple Podcasts or Spotify and another performance that deserves a massive shout out this weekend is that of a former Irish international mountain runner who has just ran two hours nine minutes and 49 seconds in the london marathon stephen scullion just 34 seconds off john tracy's marathon record stephen would you believe ran in the 2012 mountain running championships in italy and i know from listening to his podcast a bit over the summertime he spent a bit of time this year running up in the mountains in the north up on the morns i think so a big well done to stephen incredible running and great to see such brilliant results from all of our Irish athletes this weekend. More good news everyone is that we have our first competition of the season. The Dublin Mountain Trail Running Festival is taking place for the very first time this year on Friday 27th and Saturday 28th of November at the Glen Cullen Mountains. There are four race distances, 10k, 25k, 50k and 100k and the 100km race has four ITRA points allocated to it. The race has definitely captured the attention of the running family in Ireland with the sold out signs going up back in September. But luckily, we have one free entry to the race distance of your choice up for grabs. All you have to do is answer the following question and drop us a line, a direct message on the Trail Running Ireland Facebook or Instagram page. The question is, in what Dublin mountain range 
beginning with G, will the race take place? Many thanks to the team behind the event for the free entry for our listeners and good luck indeed with the event and the recce's that they're organizing over the coming weeks as well. A reminder, guys, that we're on the lookout for a show sponsor too to help keep us going over the autumn and winter months. We've got a great loyal listener base who show super support to the show every week and over 5,300 followers on our social media channels. So if you would like to see your event, your product or company get some super exposure to the trail and mountain running community in Ireland, don't hesitate to get in touch. Well, it's a busy show this week, guys. That's the warm-up done. Let's get into the action and let's call in our man on the ground, race director of the Waterford Trail Running Festival, Simon Kelly. Simon, good to have you with us again. How are you, mate? Very good. How are you, on? Actually really enjoying seeing some of the race results coming through over the last couple of weeks, you know, with still so much uncertainty in the air. Isn't it brilliant that races are going ahead, people are training away, and people are getting to compete. And so I believe you've got some more interesting race results for us. Absolutely. It's really good to see you're, you're correct in saying that and also to see that it's responsible because I, I think opening up even before going into the results, I, I took a deep dive there just to have a look at the numbers participating, particularly across the IMRA races year on year, because obviously with some counties going into lockdown here, um, it's been uh, requested and recommended that runners obviously in counties in lockdown don't travel outside of their borders. And for instance, the likes of the Morris Mullen Half, they had 43 participants this year, whereas last year there would have been 185. And in the Knockmill Down Half, there was 56 this year, and there would have been 95 last year. And then the big one, which was the Morris Mullen Ultra, which I myself was due to travel up to and took a decision not to travel, um, there was 70 participated this year, whereas last year there would have been a whopping 236. So it's great to see all of the IMRA members and also all of the volunteers involved being really responsible and making sure that everything is as safe as possible. But there still is races around and you can get out and run in the hills. Yeah, and I think that's the future, Simon, isn't it? For the next couple of months, you know, we're not going to have our Dublin Marathon, of course, at the end of this month in October. The London Elite Race only is on this weekend and all the big trail races around Europe as well are all cancelled. But we can still get our local races and still race safely. And I've said it a couple of times in the show as well. I'm a big believer in that at the moment, the important thing is that we can get out and we can still train and that we can still run, we can still meet up with some of our friends, and if we get to do a race at the weekend, well, all the better for it. And uh, thankfully, Imra have been doing a great job with it, Simon. Um, what results do you have from the Morris Mullins? So the Morris Mullins half was on Saturday the 19th. They split the Morris Mullins half and ultra to two different weekends. So first up was the, the half on the 19th of September, and uh, one of your club mates, Kieran Aylward, came home in first for the men, in a time of 1 hour, 55 minutes and 42 seconds, closely followed by Mark Raleigh, who was just uh, five minutes behind him. And then Brian McGuckin rounded off the podium in third there. So some really, really strong performances. Then in the ladies, we had Katie O'Brien, who was 20th overall and first lady in two hours and 28 minutes. We had Bernie Byrne in 28th overall and second lady. And then we had 
Lisa Bishop came home, 29th overall, very close behind Bernie. And again, third female rounding off the podium there. And nice to see a Wicklow try runner there. So a good crossover athletes participating in that. No, super. And, you know, fair play to Richard Noonan and the Immer guys for for eventually getting that race going. I think that was the third time, so I mean, the third attempt where, you know, a lot of race directors would have just thrown in the towel. But um, he's an experienced ultra runner. He's an experienced race organizer, Richard, and his team indeed as well. So fair play to them. On the third attempt, they got it away. So I'm sure I'm sure they all had a celebratory drink um, afterwards, you know, that, that the race went off and it went very well. In the ultra assignment, how did the actual ultra itself go? So the Ultra was on the 26th of September, so the following weekend, and they did have to change the course to ensure that they weren't in Dublin. So it had to be a Wicklow-based course, and that resulted in them adjusting the distance as well. So the distance this year was 44 kilometers, as opposed to the 51 it would have been for the last few years. So obviously the times were fast. In the men's, Leo Boyle finished in Three hours and 51 minutes, which on that terrain is a fantastic performance. He was followed in in second by Paul Tierney, um, and Paul Tierney is listed as tip, so there's a couple of Paul Tierneys out there. Might need to make yeah. sure it's the right one. And he was four hours dead, and then three minutes behind him in third position was Edward O'Connor. The ladies were very, very strongly represented, and... Tenth overall was Patricia McLaughlin, first lady in four hours and 26 minutes. Then Claire Keeley, who would be a familiar name on the podium, came home in second uh, lady and 20th overall in 4.47. And rounding off the podium, Mags Dempsey in four hours and 50 minutes. So a really, really good race to have. As I say, the numbers, there was just 70 this year compared to the 236 before. So I'm sure that everyone who did take the start line and did participate had plenty of trail, plenty of space and must have really enjoyed the day out. It looked spectacular from the photos that were up. And I just have the results page, Simon, open in front of me here of the men's race and two very interesting things to note. Firstly, in terms of the age groups of the top 50, of the top 50, Simon, I can only see seven runners that are under the age of 35 and the rest are all in the veterans category. So it's just it's a very interesting reflection of the age profile of trail and mountain runners, you know. Um, it, it's a great thing, obviously, that so many veterans are, are well, so many veterans as in over 35-year-old runners have found a home on the trails. Maybe that's something that we can look at ourselves in the show and, of course, race organisers as well. How can we get younger runners out to the trails too? Because seven out of 50 under the age of 35, that's a very, very interesting figure. Um, another one, you, you mentioned it, Simon, at the very, very start. I'm looking at the county residents of the top 50 runners, and Dublin only comes up once. So the trail runners on the day were very, very respectful of the new guidelines that came in. One out of Ab 50 for Dublin. Absolutely. And just to point on that i think it's a feature of ultra running that the the age profile you're coming into your prime as an ultra runner 30s mid 30s 40s and you have people in their late 40s winning huge international races so it is about longevity and once you go longer you know we we aren't left behind by the 19 20 and 21 year olds we can still hold our own when it comes down to it 
Yeah, it's not so much about speed anymore. It's about mental strength, isn't it? And uh, I think you've got a, an interesting story coming up for us, Simon, as well, just after we get through the results about um, your own mental battles that you had on a training um, ultra adventure at the start of the week. And we'll get on to that in a second. But before we do, was there any other races that you wanted to, to report on? Yeah, sure, Dan. And Munster, the knockmill down half. Again, this was one that was postponed and rescheduled. So there was a good turnout there. 56 um, took to the start line. And we'll start with the ladies. Uh, we had Deirdre O'Gorman was the first lady in three hours and 10 minutes. And she's local Tipperary, so she must know the place like the back of her hand. In second was Trisha Tuhig in three hours, 18 minutes and 49 seconds. And then rounding off the podium, again, a familiar name for anyone who follows the IMRA results was Miriam Beasley, who was in in three hours, 24 minutes and 23 seconds. The men obviously were also out in force and first home was Mark Pinfield in two hours, 22 minutes and 29 seconds. Very closely followed by Henry Brown, just one minute behind him. And then... In third position, Tom Blackburn in two hours, 28 minutes and two seconds. And obviously, just to call out Mark Blackburn and M55. So all of the podium finishes in the knock meal downs were age group athletes over 35. OK, super. Um, and the racing calendar, Simon, remains healthy. Still a couple of races to look forward to coming up. Absolutely. There's been some adjustments, some of the longer things and some of the navigation challenges are, are gone. Um, but October 10th, you've got Stonecross to Lug Solo. Now, this is a long one. It's 54K and there is a pre-entry approval. Saturday, the 10th of October, also the IMRA Junior Open Championship is going to be on in Wicklow. So that's a 5K. On the Sunday, the 11th, Sorrel Hill. Saturday, the following weekend, October 17th, you've got Nagel's Half Marathon in Cork. And then on Sunday, the 18th, Tonglegi and Lap of the Lake in Wicklow. So there's plenty of races, but they are filling up. And again, numbers will be difficult to judge in advance depending on county-by-county county restrictions and travel restrictions. But IMRA are still keeping the calendar healthy and giving us options to get out and run. Yeah, well, on the international racing calendar, so I'm again fairly quiet at the moment, and I suppose we're all waiting to see in terms of what the new international travel restrictions will be European-wide come October 13th, and that will, you know, have its own impact on international trail running races as well. So rather than focus on any results on the international part this week, Simon, I just wanted to flag the infamous Killian Jornet. He's been doing a lot of road training over the last couple of months as well, you know, Killian, record holder in UTMB, of course, as well, with his wins there. An incredible mountain athlete and an incredible explorer as well. Well, he signed up for Norway's fastest 10K race in the middle of the month, in about two weeks' time. The Heiterplan Mila race in Honfoss in Norway. A 10-kilometer race is going to be up against the Inger Brixtons, and it's going to be very, very interesting to see what he can do. I'm sure he'll be aiming for maybe the mid 28 30s maybe and for somebody who's been on the trails and mountains all his life it's going to be fascinating if somebody like that can pull out a, a 28 minute 30 10k and i don't know if it was in preparation for that or not simon but there during the week he posted up on his twitter and instagram account 
that he spent six hours, six and a half hours, um, running around a track, an eight-lane track. So not too sure what he was training for there, but he is some physical specimen, Killian Jornet. So good luck to him in his 10K race. Speaking of incredible physical um, and feet, Simon, you had your own battle around the Kerryway Ultra course during the week. And I know you wanted to share some of your experiences with our listeners because not always do our ultra runs go to plan. And you've got a, you've got a very, very interesting story to tell. Yeah, I think you might have oversold it as incredible. It was, um, I suppose, born out of, I was on the start line or the start list for the Kerryway Ultra there, which was due to take place or which did take place three weeks ago and uh, I made a decision the Monday before the race to actually withdraw um, several different considerations um, work was getting busy as well but uh, most uh, kind of appropriate from my perspective was that with COVID and with lots of people traveling and extra people out in the trails I just thought that um, you know I can do it another year I'm based down in Kerry anyway I can get out in those trails and you know rather than put any extra strain on whether it's emergency services or the race support um, I'd decide to take an early decision and just say I'm not going to go to the start line and I was happy with the decision I was delighted to see the race go ahead with all of the safety procedures in place I think Eileen and the team did an incredible job the race happened it went ahead without hitch there was no issues it was done in a really safe and responsible ma- manner and I really acknowledge that as I say it was just a personal decision I took but uh I decided that I'd go out and give it a crack anyway to do the full distance of the Kerry Way uh, at another date. And that date kind of snuck up. I didn't really share with too many people. I kept it quiet enough. So I decided Tuesday, just gone, would be the day I'd go out and, and give it a go starting in Killarney. So went, got all my prep done. I felt I had the training done. Body was in good condition. Uh, I was really enthusiastic to do it. So Started the day, left Killarney, and it was idyllic. I mean, the first eight hours were spectacular. Loved it. The views, the conditions, the weather, everything, bit of sun. And then things started to kind of change, as happens in ultra races. So, you know, a little bit of light rain, rain jacket on and off, and that was all good. And, you know, then a little bit of wind came in, and that was fine. It was actually cooling me down because there was a bit of sun in between. And uh, I came up, for anyone who knows the Kerry Away Ultra, I, I came through Glen Bay and I was actually surprised. My wife turned up at an impromptu aid station with some mashed potato with loads and loads of salt, which is, for me, it's the thing I can always eat. Absolutely love it. Met my son there as well. And it really bolstered me and gave me that extra energy. Went, left there, headed up mountain stage. All was good with the world. Felt absolutely million dollars. Couldn't be better. But the rain did kind of increase and then the wind picked up and I, I found out retrospectively that a storm blew in. Now, everything was still going to plan. I stopped for a little bit of a break just to get the extra layers of wet gear on, took out my phone, quick call into the house just to say uh, hello to my son. He was just having his dinner and my phone turned off from like 30% to zero. So I took out my backup battery, always carry a backup battery, power bank. Turned that on, 100%, it was full, great, plugged it in, zero. (laughs) So I started thinking, this isn't going very well. Okay, I'll turn it back on again. A little bit of power came into it. And I was very aware that I was carrying a GPS tracker from Primal Tracking 
and it actually runs through the phone system. So you need to have an active phone near you. It doesn't have to be yours. It can be any phone. But when you're going out in a solo attempt, you're the only one around. So it's your phone that you're really relying on. Yeah. So putting the phone away and, and kind of continued on for a bit, wind strengthened again, and I decided, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll just take a little bit of shelter. There was a, an old uh, derelict house which had a tin roof on it. And I jumped in there and took out the phone. I said, okay, the phone's getting a little bit of a charge. Texts through to my wife just to say, all is okay. I'll see you in Waterville at about 11 o'clock tonight. And that was about, I think, six o'clock in the evening. And as I was in the shed, the roof started banging. And next thing, the roof came off. It was literally blown off the roof, uh, off the top of the, the building. So, and how many kilometres had you done, Simon, at that stage? This was about 70 kilometres in, eight, eight and a half hours. Um, still, body felt great. And uh, I was just kind of going, okay, this is this is turning into a bit of an experience and a journey, uh, sure. which is. And, and just to remind us as well before you go on, for anybody that isn't familiar with the with the kilometer count of the Kerry Ultra, it's touching two hundred. So you've got seventy kilometers done, more or less in good shape, but you've still got another hundred and thirty to go. Absolutely, and uh, also knowing as well that obviously living in Waterville, I have an aid station there which is my house. So anything that I need, it gives me plenty of opportunity to reload, refuel and do whatever needs to be. So I got out of the shed anyway, the side of the shed without a roof isn't much of a shed, no point in being there. So I moved on and uh, continued through, went in through Foilmore, stopped off in, in Foilmore on the GAA ground for anyone who knows it um, and popped in, got a bit of nutrition in, a little bit more difficult to get nutrition in when the wind and rain is kind of battering you, your, your reluctance to kind of take off the jacket or open the jacket, but you can still keep fueling. So still feeling great, got into the GA stand there, got a bit of fuel in, got the layers back on and off I went, happy out. And with that feeling of, yes, bring on the elements. This is a battle. This is what we're out for, you know, but it got stronger and stronger. And I was you know, forging on, I was feeling really good in myself, feeling strong and looking forward to getting into Waterville and saying, listen, if this storm continues, I can stop. I'm on track. I'm actually ahead of my schedule. I can stop for two or three hours in Waterville if I want. And I can literally get a full change of clothes, whatever I need, and I'll be able to crack on and continue on. And then I got through just up above Foilmore and hit that ridge line above there. And I was hit by a wall of wind and I was actually blown clear off my feet. Landed in a bit of a muddy puddle and went, okay, this is this is changing a bit. So got back up my feet, kept going. I was wet anyway, but nice and warm. Didn't even have all my layers on. Still have my survival bag, loads of layers in my, in my back. I wasn't concerned at all in that. So put my head down, went against it. Sleet came in. It was smashing off the face. Again, you feel so alive. You feel you're battling the elements. But then there was... Instance number two, where I was blown off my feet. And this time I was bracing myself against it, but I was powerless. I mean, it was, I was just picked up like a ragdoll. Um, and it, it, it kind of, it, it checked me in my stride. It really did. And I started assessing the situation. And I started thinking of the people who were following my tracking and making sure I was moving. My family were sending messages as well. They, they could see the tracker online. And I, I kind of said, you know, I, I need to be responsible here and I need to think about how I am. So I took a second and I thought, I'm strong. I feel good. Stomach feels good. Nutrition's going well. 
I can crack on here. I'll get to Waterville, and when I get to Waterville, I can have a chat with my wife. I can call Paul O'Callaghan, a good friend of mine who was tracking me as well, have a chat with him, and just just debrief a little bit, and you know, redouble my efforts and push on. So continued on in good spirit, and then the third occasion again picked up like a ragdoll by the wind and landed, and about six inches from my nose, I was looking at a rock, and I kind of thought. We've all seen and heard those stories where the day starts really well and then things go wrong. I myself volunteer with uh, emergency services. I've done uh, rescues with Mountain Rescue, also with the Coast Guard. And I have gotten people into stretchers and sent them up into helicopters. Sometimes we know the outcome. Sometimes we don't know the outcome. All we do is get them in and get them safe. And I had a reflection and thought, what I'm doing here is very, very, it's, it's quite selfish. And I don't, I'm not criti- critical of that. I'm not criticizing myself. And there is things, we do a lot of things for ourselves. At times we do things for others. But there was a, a level of risk that I felt I was taking on behalf of others. And those that were watching me, because they were actually seeing, I hadn't seen that there was a, a storm warning come in. They had seen that. They trusted me to make good decisions and they trusted me to look after myself in these conditions because I have been out. My team members in the Coast Guard would have been the ones to come out if there was an incident. And I just felt that pushing on under these circumstances would have been reckless and would have been selfish and would have been dangerous. So I felt that I would continue on down to the road and recover from the road and get home. Because the decision that we make when we're out in a race, it made me feel very, very humbled and grateful for when we're running in a group or in a race environment, the likes of the Kerryway Ultra puts on. You've got a hundred people on the trail. Their phones will bounce off your tracker. So if my phone was to fail again and I was in a race environment, my tracker would be bouncing off their phone. It would still be moving. People would know where I am. People would know if I'm moving or not. Also, if I did have a slip, trip, fall and it went wrong, there'd be someone passing. They might be 10 minutes. They might be 15 minutes behind. The environment I was in, it was 10 o'clock at night. The cloud was down. I was in very little visibility. My navigation I was delighted with, didn't leave the trail once, but the fog was so thick that I couldn't see off trail. And at times when I stepped just two meters off the trail, I couldn't see the trail. There was the rain battering my face. So I had tucked in, you know, bracing myself against, and then the wind was just tossing me around like a rag doll. And I just thought of that when I reflected on the, come on, I'm against the elements. We're so insignificant. When mother nature roars, I mean, you don't stand a chance. You really don't. So deflated and disappointed, but I was just proud that I could make the decision to leave my ego and pride out of it and say, I can go back. I can run this trail another day. I had all the right gear. I had done the training. The body was strong enough. I mean, I went out running the day after, the day after that, and I've run a half marathon two days after, you know, deciding that this, it was 103K by the time I'd got home. But even on the recovery run along the road, I, I was blown off the road into a ditch and I wasn't even on the ridge line. Yeah. So 
I mean, it just, it made, it humbled me and it made me reflect on every once in a while, certainly I needed to be reminded what we do is quite high risk. We do it safely and we carry backpacks with first with survival bags. I would never go out in a solo without a GPS tracker. And I need to name primal tracking and say, if anyone is going out on a large run or a wilderness run, you know, their trackers, it costs about 50 quid to get a tracker. They'll post it down to you. They'll put up a map. Your friends can keep an eye on, it, eye on you and see you go. But the most important thing is if things go wrong, people know where you are and that confidence. Then that's great advice, Simon. Um, if you wanted to get a Primal Tracker, you just go to their website, is it? And you can buy it directly from them. Yeah, primaltracking.com. It's right yeah, there. And when I did actually contact, because obviously once I, I had made the decision to, to, to kind of bail, I had the pity party for a few minutes and, and I needed to reach out to a few people. And they had sent messages just to say, you know, glad you're OK. And then they, the, the kind of the truth came out a little bit as well that, they had all decided, and this is, I need to call out my wife, my both my parents, Eileen Daly of the Kerry Way, Rowan of Primal Tracking. They'd all decided and told me, and Paul O'Callaghan as well, they'd all decided they were staying up through the night to watch the tracker for me. And they, they weren't comfortable and happy going to bed, but they trusted me that they didn't need to say it to me. They didn't have to say it to me while I was still moving because they trusted my good decisions and the fact that I would make responsible decisions. So that made me feel all the better for saying, you know what, 103K is a long train and run. I got humbled. Cyclists know every so often you have to come off your bike if you're trying and, and pushing the limits. Trail running, long distances and ultra running, every so often you need a reminder. And that was my reminder. I, I was saying to you yesterday, we were having a chat. I'm considering it a DNF. It's the first DNF I've had since I was 15. And I'm now 40. But it was a good reminder. And it really made me humble and also so grateful for what we can do going out into the beautiful countryside we have. The hills and the mountains feel really alive. And it wasn't worth pushing on through that storm for the bit of ego and for saying, yeah, I, I took on the elements and won. Could I finished? Possibly. Was the level of risk worth? Absolutely not. Not for me. Done another day. And I have no shame or embarrassment in saying I decided to pull it. I decided to step off for safety and I would do it again. And it was the right decision. I have no regrets. It's an important story, Simon, that you that you shared with us there, and especially for for maybe new trail runners to the sport. Say anybody coming from a road background, and um, we're obviously in a marathon. Maybe you might need some people passing gels onto you, or, uh, but we might often think as trail running, as ultra trail running, as an individual sport. You know the 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 loneliness of a long distance runner, and even more so in the ultra world. But as you've just described there, ultra running is actually far from an individual sport. Sure, you were the one person out on the trail. It's not like a football pitch where your teammates are within maybe five to ten meters of you. But your teammates, your wife, um, your friends, your mom and dad, those teammates were back home keeping an eye on you and making sure that you were okay and were willing to, to activate and get out there to, to help you, to rescue you or to whatever it might have been. 
So it's a great example as well of that you need a team, that you do need a team to get through 200 kilometers and that to have good people around you, to have the experience as well. As you said, thankfully you have that experience. And, you know, it's a great story for those people maybe who are just starting out on their ultra trail running career. Some, some wonderful lessons there, Simon, to, to learn um, for, for myself included. So so thanks a million for sharing that with us. And DNF, maybe you're being a bit harsh on yourself, Simon, classifying as, as a DNF. But I, I don't know if it would go that far, but I, I'm sure... Get your rest and recovery right, which I know you are doing. I know you're you're back sleeping fine after your 103 kilometers. Give yourself two or three weeks. When a race does come around, I'm sure the body's going to be in great form and eager to go again. And just imagine, Simon, if you had have let the ego win, if you had have kept on pushing on, pushing on, gone to the well and even beyond, imagine what state you could have been in now and uh, that, that's, on, that's on a good day <laughs> if things had gone bad with that storm we might not even be talking here today yeah I mean and uh, just to, to, to say as well I'll be back out I'm going to take it on again I'm not in any way saying that oh, we shouldn't do this stuff we absolutely should but there's a few things as well that I've learned in, in terms of having someone even out on the roads dedicated to just to make sure through the night I think if I had that there that maybe my parents would have slept and you know they would have been comfortable saying okay there is xyz and I'd probably ask Paul O'Callaghan if he could get the time because he he knows and I've kind of accrued for him and, and done safety for him remotely and, and on the spot um, and if he was out I think he'd give people peace of mind and again as you say it takes a village there's a lot of people behind that and also I'm on the start list for the Dublin Mountain Running Festival 100k in November and, and I'm relishing and getting out and running that so yeah I'm not I'm certainly not uh, uh, kind of back and retracts or anything like that but I just felt it was important to be humbled and, and, and just to reflect on it and, and just be a bit more mindful yeah brilliant Simon listen thanks a million for the results as always for our outlook of the upcoming calendar as well and for that great story of your 103k around the Kerryway Ultra and your battle with nature and as you said when you're battling with nature, when she's angry, there's only one winner, and there always only will be one winner. Um, Simon, we're going to call in Rene, and this might be an interesting one for you, Simon. Rene is going to talk to us about cross-country running and the benefits for ultra runners and mountain runners of doing the odd cross-country race. So uh, if there's any cross-country races down there in Kerry or Cork, maybe you might sign up for one of those as well. Yeah, I mean, cross-country is the foundation of so many running, whether you're a road runner through the winter getting the strength into the legs or a nice crossover to running off-road and maybe getting up into the hills and mountains in the future. We all love it, and uh, there's nothing better than finishing mucky, sore, and smiling. That was a huge during the week, Simon. <laughs> mucky, sore, <laughs> wet, and everything. So, Simon, thanks for being here as always, and we'll talk to you in two weeks' time. Take care, all. Cruising in the automobile with all the time you can kill. There is nothing that gives you the thrills. My name's Sarah McCormack. My name is Brian Fury. My name is Nicola Duncan. My name is Zach Hanna. My name is Mark Ryan. I'm a mountain runner. 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 Hi, my name is Harriet and I'm a mountain runner. You're listening to Trail Running Ireland. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. 
Ren, I've just come off the phone from Simon down in Waterville in Kerry, and I mentioned to him that we're going to talk about cross-country running today, and I was trying to convince him to find a cross-country race in Cork and Kerry, and I think as well you're a big cross-country fan too. Yes, that's that's right. Uh, one of the few, <laughs> perhaps, um, and we, you know, and that was the reason I suggested that maybe because this is the time of year where cross-country races tend to start in any normal year anyway, that we broach this subject on a trail running podcast because the two disciplines, you know, cross-country and trail, they're related, um, but one is has grown hugely more popular uh, than the other. So I just thought I have a love for it. Um, my wife has a love for it. I think you love it as well, Owen. But a lot of people either don't know about it or they seem to really hate the discipline with an absolute passion. Uh, and I yeah. think uh, and I think there are reasons for that that we could talk about and maybe even convince some people to um, revert their impression. Sure. Um, and as much as I love powering up a mountain on a steep incline, I must admit to that my favourite type of running, um, apart from maybe the, the Dublin Marathon Day in October, which is in, an incredible special day, I do love my cross-country running as well. And the, the last race that I actually did back home was the Leinster Masters cross-country race. And it was a wonderful, wonderful day out. And I, I might kick things off, Rene, by quoting what Jerry Brady said a couple of years ago. Um, I got it from one of your articles on the runningcoach.ie website. And Jerry actually said to yourself that you should run cross country if you wanted to improve your placings on the mountains. And, you know, I think from my own experience, your experience, lots of other people as well, Jerry was absolutely right that to help improve us in our trail and mountain running races, Cross-country is a fabulous way to do that. Yeah, it's it's a funny story because uh, this is back from 2007, this quote, when I, I was kind of very new to, to running and a bit of an open book, you know, so I tell everybody and everyone what I hoped to do and intended to do. And one of the things was um, I was in the back of Jerry Brady's car driving from some Imra race, and I just said I'd like to get into the top 10 in the hill races. And that's when that quote came up. Um, and I didn't know what he meant really because i had heard the word cross from denmark but i didn't know anything about the discipline uh, so i just looked into it and i i figured out very quickly that most of the cross-country races were organized for the clubs and um, through this thing that's called the you know the championship series so there's provincial sorry there's county and provincial and national events um and that was all i knew like later i found out there was a wider world of cross-country beyond that which i think we, we will point the, the listeners to own at towards the end of this um but i joined a club actually to be able to run cross country because he told me this is going to make you better and it was only when i did the first race which was a race called the dublin novice which took place in the phoenix park uh so it's really nice course soft grass small rolling hills uh, but it was just the most insane event I'd ever taken place in because although, you know, the trail races can be wild enough because you often have, you know, a flurry of, of arms and legs at the finish line and everyone running into some kind of bottleneck at the beginning. Cross Country just took that to a different extreme um, because you have hundreds of people lined up on a grassy field all running into the same, let's say, two or three meter wide grassy trail. Uh, and And even worse is that the... In these races, the, the the speed that they go off at can be a real surprise if the first time you experience it, you know. So you're very likely in the first race to go off too hard, 
and then the experience becomes a little bit um, humbling for a lot of people. And so th that that's kind of where it started. But maybe before going into you know the the nuts and bolts, I think the reason Jerry made that comment is he he knew that the competitive level in cross country in the races is quite high. So for anyone who's really looking to toughen up. And, and improve and have to focus for the full race on what they're doing, there's no better teacher because there's constantly something going on in these races. I know another thing Jerry said, Owen, to, to me at one stage was that in a trail race or a mountain race, there can be a tendency that once you get to the really steep hill, you settle into a position with the people around you that you think should be in front of you and the people you think should be behind you. And then you just kind of fall asleep. That's his words, not mine. He says, you just fall asleep and you hold your position until the descent. And then you go hammer and tongs to the finish line. What he wanted is he wanted people who wish to finish further up or even go, let's say, to the Europeans or the worlds. He needed them to be razor sharp in their focus for the whole race. And in cross country, if you fall asleep for two seconds, six people pass you out. Yeah. And so that is one of the things that's so unique about it, uh, that there's just this constant to and fro and this dynamic with your fellow competitors. So it's, it's really all about beating the other people uh, while you're running on a tough course. Um, yeah. so, I think, so, so that's in a nutshell kind of the benefit, you know, it toughens you up and it makes you stronger. Sure. Um, and you do have that need, Rene, for a combination of speed and strength, don't you? So maybe a lot of people that are on the mountains or on the trails, they mightn't actually, they mightn't have worked on their speed that much. Now, I know we've said a couple of times in the podcast that one easy way of doing it is doing strides at the end of your run, just to open up the legs and keep those fast, which muscle fibers active. But if you are planning for a cross country race, you really need to do a little bit of speed because you probably more than likely will have your sprint finish. You'll have that fast start, as you mentioned as well. Um, and, and I suppose just from my own personal experience, it's very interesting, Rene, that when I started off running, I was a track runner. And when I was running cross country back in 2007, 2008, after a couple of track seasons, once the once we got into the depths of winter, early spring, and the cross country courses were really wet, sloppy, and mucky, I really suffered because I was coming from the track. At the start of autumn, when we were maybe doing races in Time and Park in the Phoenix Park, when the ground was still fairly steady, I was fine. I, I, I was up there battling away for podiums and what have you. But once we got to the real muck, I was out the back door and I really struggled. But after going back, say, 10 years later, with 10 years of mountain running behind me, I found I was able to cope a lot better than, say, roadrunners even, on the muck and on those tricky, tricky, wet, sloppy cross-country courses. So the trails can actually really give us a superb competitive advantage on cross-country as well. Yeah, it kind of swings two ways. And it's funny you say this example of moving from the track to cross country because that's, that's you know, cross country is a really old discipline. And maybe just so that people who've never raced, they understand what the course is like. The, the reason it's different from a trail is that obviously if you go on, on trails, you can encounter any type of terrain. But a cross country course tends to be nearly always predominantly soft. And, and probably 90% of the races are not nearly all grass um, and often you know grass in wet conditions as we have in the autumn here in Ireland that has been really trod down you know and, and you'll often have long sections that are total slob and um, if you go a little bit further back 
cross-country courses were even more extreme. You know, you would have rough plow in them. And actually, until quite recently, you know, half a century ago, it wasn't a cross-country course unless there were some fences to jump and some rivers to cross. So actually, they have they've moved back towards these kind of parkland courses that are soft and muddy. And, and this is what presents the difficulty for most people who move from track and road, because if you, to become efficient at running on track and road, you, you need a certain type of running style and strengths that's all about rebounding off the hard surface. And it also means you're used to getting all this free energy. So there are certain runners uh, like myself, incidentally, who, who really thrive on hard surfaces because we are fairly efficient at rebounding. But we may not be very strong. So the moment you move to a course where nearly all of the work is soft, you lose one of your competitive advantages. And then you need to switch. Um, you also need to use more muscles because obviously the, the terrain is more unstable. It's more demanding, as I said, because it's not the same amount of free energy. So if you're weak, in a way, you get found out on a cross-country course. But you know, wherever there is a problem, there's an opportunity. So... I never got personally disillusioned by my lack of success in cross country because for me it was it was something I used to harden myself for other races I wanted to do well in you know like the roads and like the trail running but if you're a trail runner you you come with it from a different perspective as you say because a trail runner would be used to a, a variety of surfaces so they might not be as much at a disadvantage if they're good on trail in cross country as a person who is good on on track um, but not so good in the soft stuff. But another thing that's different is in cross country is that there are climbs in the courses, but they are very short generally. You know, there's a few, there's a few exceptions, but by and large, even the longest climb you'll find in an Irish cross country course is going to be 400 meters or so in length. Um, and a lot of the hills are much, much shorter. So there are these tiny hills that you kind of have to burst up. And that means it's, um, it's a totally different type of fitness and, and power that you need because a lot of trail runners are very good at the long steady climbs mm, yeah. you know you know what i mean on so you 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 can kind of yeah. set into a good rhythm for three, two three four five kilometers and you can just grind into that steady pace but when you come into cross country you might be thrown because up a hill down a hill up a hill down a hill and you constantly have this uh, shift in tempo uh, and yeah. it's certainly something that I know gets to me. You know, I really need to work on that myself. You know, and it's easy to do in training. And um, John Lenehan, who a lot of our listeners will know, you know, the former world mountain running champion from Kerry, he, he, he said a lot of his success in the hills, he felt, came from his training routine in his valley where he grew up, Glanaginti. And I went to run um, the trail he built there, um, shortly after it opened, I think it was back in 2008, and it was very that was very similar to cross country because it was these constant short hills, and he felt that by developing your hill strength and efficiency on short hills first, you learn to run hills faster. So that was the basic kind of theory. So I think you know if you want to carry that over, if you are a hill runner listening to this, I think these having to deal with these shorter hills more powerfully will allow you to become better at tackling longer hills faster. Yeah, and I know for myself, when I moved back to cross country, after, say, training on the mountains for the summertime, granted, it's a lot more intense and it's a lot quicker, but just even mentally, the thought of only having to run for maybe 20 minutes, because your typical cross country race might be four miles, five miles at most, and for only running 20 to 24 minutes compared to a big, long two or three hour effort in the mountains. 
for me, it's actually very easy to get through. Likewise, for only having to run up maybe a 200 meter, 300 meter hill, as opposed to a maybe a 15 minute slog up a hill, mentally, I find that very easy. And where maybe a club runner who's coming from a road scene, having to face a 300 meter hill, they might be going, oh my God, how am I going to get up these 300 meters? Where hopefully us trail runners and mental runners will find that very easy. So as you said at the start, it can go both ways, can't it? Yeah, it can. And I think it's it's worth at this stage maybe pointing out why some people have, have been a little bit, you know, shocked by it. Because I, I have sometimes brought in a runner from a club too early into a race. Uh, and I've seen runners that were not, that I didn't work with, but who were very discouraged by the first cross country race. Um, and sometimes it's, it's if you've been in a hill race, uh, you will often, let's say you finish in the, the top 50 or something like that, or top 20 even, when you go to cross-country race, especially if you go to the ones organized by Athletics Ireland, the standard is quite high because you have all the good club runners there. And that can be a bit of a surprise that you, you might have been used to finishing top 20 and suddenly you're down there in the middle of the pack. And it, because we all have different psychologies, I've just seen some people have a positive response to this kind of reality check, if you want, and others don't respond to it so well, you know, and Jason Kyo, which we've talked about a bit in this, was a good example because even during the time when he had begun to win races for Imra, he would go for Crusaders and he would go to the National Cross Country Championships and he would finish in the middle of a two of a 400 strong field. But because he had been brought along and he understood that when you step in here, it's, it's nearly a privilege just to be there. That's how I view it myself. Because nearly everyone who's there is, is working hard. They're decent club runners. So it's no shame in cross country even to finish in the back end of the field. And it, you just need to be prepared for that if you are currently competitive in the trails. That, you know, you could be surprised in the first race. Sure. Um, you know, uh, and, and I know as well, Renny, that in the trails, sometimes we, it can be a very individual sport. Other times we can have our support crew with us, as we just spoke about with Simon as well. But you mentioned, for example, the Dublin Novice cross-country race, which thousands of runners have got have been through over the last couple of years. It's a great baptism of fire. And I know when I first went to the Dublin Novice cross-country, I had been training on my own for my first shot at the Dublin Marathon. And after being training on my own for a number of months, all of a sudden, I was in a team huddle before the race. After the race, you know, people are high-fiving each other, you know. There was a great team environment um, with the cross-country race. And that that has always been the case, certainly with my own club, Raffarnham. And as I said, like, you know, 15 years later from my first introduction to club cross-country racing, um, 15 years later, back in January, in the Masters, the Masters Leinster cross-country that team huddle was still going on and the high-fiving or whatever you might want to say, that was still going on after the race as well, the encouragement and the well-dones and so on. So for any trail runner who was maybe maybe misses maybe the, the team aspect of, of a team sport that they came from, whether it be football or GAA or basketball or whatever, you can recapture that, can't you, with cross-country running? Yeah, it was a point I made in my article about cross country there a few years ago. I think that's that's one of the most the biggest selling points because obviously when for most of the year, even if you're a member of a running club or a community, your goals are your own, they're individual. And that means, you know, it's it's kind of a you know, selfish is the wrong word, but it's certainly, you know, it's about personal ambitions, not collective ambitions. And when we come together for cross country, 
even though you're not interested necessarily in, in in having an amazing performance and you're not training specifically for the cross country that's not the point at all it's just that we come together here as a team and we're going to do something together and because the scoring in cross country is is based on your placing you know it can make a difference every single place that you win and that means even if you are the type of runner who will never win a race you can make a difference to your team getting a medal for instance just by beating the runner who's right in front of you um, and as you say, then you have all the celebration afterwards, you know, and the shared uh, <laughs> the shared punishment. So I think that 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 is a huge thing. You know, the only negative aspect that that comes with that is that it's more of an arena-like setting with cross country. You know, so it's obviously the courses are mapped out, so you don't have to navigate, which is a good selling point for a lot of people. But there tends to be a lot of spectators at cross-country events, which, you, of course, you don't have really in, in minor trail races, certainly. Yeah. And these spectators tend to be very loud at cross-country races. There's a lot of coaches there, and they're all shouting encouragement or abuse or whatever it is. And I know from some people find that, um, you know, if they don't come from team sport where, you know, if you've played soccer, you're used to that sort of thing. Again, it's something you need to get used to. Um, but if you're like me and maybe your cell phone, I actually kind of enjoy that. You know, I think it, it gives me something in the race yeah. that I can use. Yeah, I, it, it, they're very enjoyable experiences, Rene. And, and as you were saying, some people that are, are only used to the trails, they might be a little bit intimidated by that. But as you said, there's lots of different levels for cross country. You do have your club championship races, but you have novice, intermediate and senior, and you can progress through the ranks um, in those championships. And then you have other outlets, for example, like the business houses and the business houses, their calendar of races, I think in Dublin and also in Cork, I do, they, they do a set of races as well. The business house races have been running cross country since 1979. And I know when I was starting off, they were great um, battlefields for, for learning how to race and how to compete without the pressure of championship running with a club vest on you. Uh, normally, typically, you run for your company that you work for, or you can run independently as well. Um, but they're a little bit more relaxed, but they're also, they also have that competitive edge as well. So you can learn to compete in those type of races. And in the business house races, for example, they always do a great spread as well. You know, your sandwiches, biscuits, tea and coffee, and so on as well. So that great social aspect of cross country can be found in those races as well. Yeah, the BHA race, I actually, I only did a few in my time on, but it definitely had more of that feel that you get from an IMRA race afterwards. So for those who, who wanted, I would say that is the starting point. Um, and also the, in, in between those two is what's called open cross country races. For them, you have to look a little bit more carefully because they tend to be run by small local clubs in rural yeah. areas. And they, you know, a lot of them weren't even very well advertised. Uh, until quite recently. So for two famous ones, just to mention, um, is there's one up in Stamollen, which is called the Star of the Seas Cross Country. It's a particularly, it's up in County Meath. It's a particular favorite of mine because it's just so down to earth. But it's a, the, the main task of that race is finding the field <laughs> on these country back roads. But yeah. once, <laughs> once you get there, it's just amazing because you have this farmer's field in the middle of nowhere, which is kind of hilly, and where there's a really interesting, intricate loop laid out 
Um, and then you have a few um, stalls and registration booths and, uh, and spectators. And there's just this real kind of mom and dad atmosphere, you know, and um, very relaxed, except for the racing itself, which is actually very competitive up there. Uh, and there is a similar race down in Adamstown in Wexford, which could be an option. And again, the Adamstown course is just a farmer's field. Sure. So, so if you want to get the experience, the raw experience without the championship, and you feel you're up for more than maybe just BHA, those those are worth seeking out as well. Well, Rene, as, as yourself and the listeners know, I'm based over in Gran Canaria and have been stuck in Gran Canaria since the start of the pandemic. There will be no greater joy for me than to be able to fly home and try and find that farmer's field to run a cross-country race in this weekend. Um, I, it, it's, it's so enjoyable. It really is. Rene, before we go, anything else that you wanted to mention just before we sign off on cross-country? Well, let's maybe just give a tactical nugget to the experienced runners who are listening as well Owen because who who are good who are good on the trails and, and wonder if I'm going to be successful in cross country what do I need to pay attention to um, and the main thing cross country is because the fields are very congested uh, you cannot pace yourself like you do in a road race if you have aspirations to lead and be in the top 10 you have to go off with the leaders um, because even if the pace doesn't suit you if you have to pass 50 people to get back to the front you're going to waste that energy Anyway, so just maybe that be a little nugget for the experience for the sorry the competitive trail runners who want to try it. You know, stick to the people you plan to compete with early in the race and see if there's a chance to catch any kind of breather in the middle. There probably isn't, but you can't afford to be way way back down because it's really difficult to pass in a cross-country race. And I maybe add one myself, Randy, as well, is to keep on working on your sprint finish as well with those strides that we mentioned beforehand because more than likely you will end up with a sprint finish because of the condensed nature of cross-country, especially if you're running for your club. And I remember a great story from the 2009 Dublin Senior Cross-Country Championship. Myself and the Raffarnham lads were hoping to, to win it for the first ever time. We had never done it before and we haven't done it since either. But our sixth man on the day, Michael Freely, um, told us just after the race, and thankfully it went well, we, we got the gold team medal, and he said to us, geez, lads, I was having nightmares during the week about losing the sprint finish against my equivalent Rahini runner. And thankfully I just about held on, but my God, I was having sleepless nights about it. So they're, they're, they're great fun, We'll probably need that sprint finish in. Um, Rene, be, before we go, I might just as well direct people to the runningcoach.ie website this week because we're recording just before the London Marathon takes place and this will probably go out maybe on the day afterwards. Now, depending on whether a new world record is set or whether they get close to it, people might be interested in reading about your thoughts on the vapor flies and the alpha flies and the carbon-assisted shoes. Um, so it's a very, very interesting article, Rene. And maybe even one day, we might even touch upon it in the trail running podcast and whether we think carbon plates might work running up a hill i suspect not but we might touch on it again sometime absolutely okay many thanks for any talk to you soon all right talk to you
for our feature interview this week. I've been looking forward to this for a while now. We're going to talk to Laura O'Driscoll, an incredibly strong athlete across so many different disciplines. Laura, over the last couple of years, she's won the Adventure Race Series in 2018. She's won the Dingle Adventure Race in 2019. She won the Wicklow A 50 miler. She won the Raw Ultra 50 miler. And this year, she's won the Seven Sisters Skyline as well as the Kerry Way Ultra Light just a couple of weeks ago. She's an incredible athlete and I'm sure it's going to be a fascinating story and I'm dying to find out what her secrets are, what makes her be able to consistently get on the podium and knock out these incredible wins. So let's dial in. Laura O'Driscoll. Laura O'Driscoll, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks very much, John. <laughs> uh, Laura, great to have you. And Laura, you, you have a fascinating story to tell. Um, from qualifying for an Ironman World Championship to a potential sport-ending knee injury and then coming back to, as I said just in the intro there, to, to win various trail and mountain races, winning the Adventure Race Series in 2018, winning a, a national 50k title and so many more victories and podiums over the last couple of years. And you've also become a yoga teacher along the way, of course, as well. But maybe we could start off in, in a moment that maybe was a rebirth for you. When you had a very bad car accident that resulted, I think, in a torn meniscus. Yeah. And yeah. that you thought that you might be finished as an athlete. And did, did that have a, have a massive impact on you? And maybe did you have a different outlook on sport and maybe even life after that accident? Um, probably. <laughs> um, I guess. From I, I I've always kind of been into running from a very early age. Um, I would have started though with sprinting and long jump track and field, and was quite competitive. So I've always been competitive. And uh, when somebody tells me I can't do something, it makes me want to do it even more. So when I had uh, the car accident happened, um, I was actually training for my first seventy point three. It was the first one that was going to be in Ireland over in Galway um, at the end of that summer. And I'd been over with my sister. She lives in. Reno in Nevada and I'd been doing a good bit of running out there and we were doing a little bit um, around Lake Tahoe so a little bit of altitude and I came back and I was feeling brilliant and uh, about two days later uh, a car crashed into me <laughs> and uh, spun me a few times and to be honest I was really lucky I think because uh, I was in good shape um, I, I got out of it a, a lot um, safer than maybe somebody in, in less condition but I managed to hit my knee off the steering column so I tore the meniscus quite badly and a bit of whiplash but um it kind of knocked me in my tracks because up until that I was just going hell for leather like and not really stopping to kind of take take track you know what like I was doing a bit of um strength a little bit of mobility but not really like I was just running and biking and, and tearing around the place so it's something yeah. in the track so, so I went from like 100 and whatever percent to zero within like you know the space of that that accident so um yeah it uh it was definitely a a, a good kind of wake-up call and uh when when I got like initially the meniscus it was kind of it wasn't fully torn it was like on on the verge of so I didn't really know what had happened it just felt like the knee was really unstable and then it was a couple of weeks later I was just getting off the bus and it just went the knee just kind of went from under me and I went and the, the basically the the um the consultants told me like uh, yeah it's a full tear and uh and all I want to know can I run like you know <laughs> and uh 
they were basically like, yeah, well, I don't know about that. But, uh, you know, we, we try and get you there, but you'd be lucky to kind of be doing five, 10Ks max, like none of your kind of Ironman stuff for that. So I was, <laughs> I, I don't take kindly to people telling me what to do. So <laughs> um, I was determined to kind of get back to it. So I kind of was a bit stubborn and um, was kind of doing kind of, uh, initially I was kind of on the trainer trying to do like one one-legged <laughs> cycling and, one arm swimming because I the whiplash predominantly on my left side and uh like the running was out the window like but uh yeah I, I kind of tried to continue to train like so that was in the I think that would have been the June and the the um Galway was in the September so I was still kind of determined to, to do it and uh which where I couldn't run I was back in the elliptical and uh then I actually ended up doing Galway with a lot of diphene in me, which is, was not a very sensible way to approach any race. And uh it was horrific conditions. <laughs> and uh I think half the profile probably dropped out because it was actually like a hypothermic conditions, particularly on the bike. And it was not really survival of the fitness, more so survival of the most stubborn. And uh with that I managed to qualify for the worlds from it. But um I couldn't walk hardly after it. I was only kind of jogging then by Christmas, I think. So, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> I don't know, definitely um, that that year then, because I qualified, um, I got a bit caught up again with, with my ego and uh, my rehab wasn't going great, obviously, like it's the meniscus. And bit by bit, though, a fr friend of mine started recommending me to go to this particular yoga teacher that I had gone to a couple of times, but she was a little bit far out. And uh, I started going back to her and I just found I just gradually it was more like kind of um, like a power flow yoga. So there was a lot of strength work and um, mobilization of the joints and uh, over time gradually I started to uh, feel the benefits and I'd gone back to the consultant because I was kind of up for surgery and he was kind of like look I don't know what you're doing but keep doing it we'll take you off the list but we'll put you on the public list just in case you know you, you do decide like you know when a few months time you'll, you'll have a better idea of the rehab and um yeah, so I guess the yoga, although it was the physical that I was going to at first, then gradually over time it kind of, um, uh, I guess it started affecting me mentally as well. You know, I, I was a bit more chilled out and a little less ego-driven. I was still determined to do the world, though, so <laughs> it didn't. Yeah. Um, Laura, in what year was all that going on? Oh, Jesus. Um, was that, I don't know, maybe 2011, maybe 12, around that time? Okay. Okay, yeah. so I mean, say before the, the car accident happened, you, you were doing your triathlons, but you hadn't really discovered trail racing, mountain racing, road running or anything like that, Dip, dipping your toes in, in the triathlon world only. Um, no, I'd say like I would have been runner before I was at NAS. So um, I guess when I was doing running uh, when I was younger, uh, when I say younger, like, you know, like pre-teens, teens, and um, I developed a kind of a, uh, like at the time it was probably just ITB syndrome and uh, kind of pulling the knee, but it took me out for a year. And when I got back, I'd lost the speed. And when you're a sprinter and you lose your speed and you're competitive, it, um, it's hard to get back. So I um, I just used to run then for just for the love of it. Like, so I was always running. Um and then I was a lifeguard in college. So that was like my part-time job. And I used to cycle everywhere. I didn't actually drive properly until my mid-20s. <laughs> so the triathlon, I kind of just fell into. But 
I would always say still that the running was kind of the main driver behind it, but competing, I wasn't doing as much running, but I was doing the odd kind of um, trail run here and there, like in the odd road run, like, but not in, not in two years. So, I mean, always very active and you can see the building blocks that were there for maybe the success that you have now and over the last couple of years, very active and um, childhood involved in athletics, working as a lifeguard and um, lots and lots of cycling and without maybe you realizing developing this massive aerobic powerhouse of a system um, that that you're using now to, to win all these races everywhere um, and, and I'm fascinated to talk maybe later on in the conversation about Mr. Eagle that you've mentioned as well yeah you, you, you said that, that you had it and maybe it was a problem um, before the car accident and just after it because you thought you could compete when you were injured but that yoga helped get get rid of that and then and and i know that i heard you speaking before about your your running career and there was absolutely no evidence of any ego in in the conversation that i heard you with it was with um robbie marsh on the inspiration runner podcast yeah and he had just won a couple of races and you you wouldn't know that you were a prolific podium finisher (laughs) Um, so, so maybe when, when we touch on, on onto the yoga story, we can come across that again. But I know then I think a couple of years after the car accident, you moved away from Ireland for a couple of years. And that's why maybe people would, wouldn't have seen you um, racing and competing back home. Yeah, I did. Um, I had lived away previously just after college um, back in 2006, 2007. And uh, that was kind of more like a trip around the world backpacking, but I, I stayed quite a, a while in New Zealand working and tipped into um, Australia and South America and Southeast Asia and that. But I'd always kind of, I came back and I know a lot of my family and friends were like, oh, box is ticked now, she's, she's home now for good, that's it. And I guess the bug was always there. Like I always, I wouldn't even say the travel bug, but just the adventure bug, just kind of looking for adventure and experiences. And um I guess time was ticking as well at that stage because um, you know you only have till a certain age to use your um, your holiday visa for like Australia and Canada, the working holiday. So I was like, um, it, sure. I'd I kind of gone back to college to do teaching, and there wasn't a whole heap of stuff going on either with that in Ireland. So um, I took my chances and I headed off. I uh, I guess part of it was I was hoping to do because I. Uh, after all, all the <laughs> the accident and the the triathlon and, and the worlds and all that, like I I kind of realised that I actually I loved the yoga uh, side. I wanted to immerse myself in it by going to India. To not actually intention, my intention wasn't to teach yoga initially. It was just to go to India and kind of immerse myself in it. And then it just kind of made sense to do the teaching because it was about the same price <laughs> and it made me yeah. there and learn everything really. And then I stayed a little bit longer and kind of went to a chalet and stuff. Um, so that was kind of the start of my travels. And uh, then I went to Nepal and I got my um, visa for Australia, just kind of planning on going there. Um just for a few months, really, like maybe half a year. And then I ended up staying there a couple of years in the end. Um, I got a, a nice teaching job and met a lot of good people. And then time was running out in my Canadian visa. So uh, I said, Feck, I'll, I'll go there now. So that was that was kind of my travels. It wasn't really um, a, a for a want of escaping. It was just more for the, 
the love of the adventure. Really like yeah, it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading reading the book, Laura. Well, maybe you write the book. It sounds like a Christmas bestseller. Um, and, and when you're over in Australia in Canada, Laura, I mean, was there any structured training going on? I suppose I'm asking because when you did come back um, within a short period of time, as we've said, you began to win races and adventure race series and so on. So were you were you training hard when you were in Australia and Canada? Yeah, I'd say like even from from when I left, like going to India, like those couple of months was pretty hardcore yoga. Then Nepal, it was a mountain biking um, that I was doing there um, for a month and a half. And then when I got to Australia, I kind of fell in very much with the trail running scene there and uh, just loved it. And it was such a nice way of meeting people. Like, uh, there was cool, like I was living in Melbourne, which is like, you know, you're in the city, but there was cool, like the Yarra Trails. There was trails that you could go to very easily after work. And then I just kind of met people at races and got really into it and used to go out into the mountains and that. So I wouldn't say structure training, but I was always running like and I was doing quite a lot of road biking in Australia and swimming as well. Like so. Um, and then with Canada, um, that's really where I guess I did. I did. A, I did like um, the Solomon Trail running series, like when I was in Melbourne and a few of the, the longer races. I did one of the Skyline races. Um, buffalo stampede which killed me <laughs> i was like jesus why would you do this <laughs> and uh, i i don't know I, I kind of was dabbling in the mountain scene but it was definitely more the trail running and then when i got to canada i moved to a town called squamish which is just north of vancouver and uh it was just just deadly like people literally anyone really who who went to live there was coming for either trail running mountain biking rock climbing you name it kind of any kind of outdoorsy thing so it was kind of you kind of worked your lifestyle around your your sport and uh, got big time into probably that's where the the distances started getting longer because i just kind of got in with um a crew who just loved going out running for hours and hours and hours and there was just so much scope for it like i hardly left squamish to be honest like i was there for a year and a half and every weekend there was some adventure to be had, like, because people would ask me, well, you're in Canada and did you go here? Did you go there? And I'm like, mm, not really. Because <laughs> uh, it was just, yeah, it was just a playground. It was it was brilliant. So I was running. Yeah. It, it sounds it sounds fantastic, Laura. And I'm sure, like myself, all the listeners that are listening in are just picturing being over in this Canadian village where there's mountains everywhere and everybody is running yeah. and mountain biking and cycling. It's, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, it sounds incredible it sounds fantastic um did you were you competitive when you were in canada on australia were, were you coming um on podiums while you were there too um yeah uh, yeah I, I was um in in australia from the trail runners like i i had i'd won the the victoria trail running series and um I, I was just it was kind of shorter runs i guess than what i do now they were kind of more like between 10 and 20k um, yeah. And they were flatter, uh, so you could really run them. It was a uh, really, really enjoyable race. And I would have done a few of the, the half marathons along the, the coast and that. So, yeah, no, I'd, I was competitive enough down there. And then in Canada, um, again, more so in the trail running, I did a couple of the mountain races. I actually concussed myself in, in my first mountain race out there, the, the Whistler Alpine Meadows. I, I hit my head off a rock and then <laughs> it was going good up until that. But um 
yeah, like I, I would have been competitive um, on the running scene more so. I wasn't really doing the adventure running out, racing out there because Ireland is nice because you can adventure race on a road bike. I'm yeah. not love mountain biking, but I'm, I'm not the greatest at it. Like, so Ireland's nice that you can, but whereas when I was in Canada and Australia, really, it was if you're adventure racing, you're on a mountain bike. So um, I just kind of stuck with the running more so than racing like. Yeah. It, it sounds like that the um, the Irish and um, female um, field on the mountain running and trail running scene back home didn't stand a chance. They didn't know what was coming, Laura, when, when you did decide to come home. Um, because it sounds like you were doing incredible racing and incredible performances while you're away. And then you decided to, to come home. Um, did you come home as a trained yoga teacher, Laura, at that stage? I did, yeah, because I had I had done the training in India at the start of my travels. Um, I only I taught like because I was teaching in two secondary schools out in Australia, so I actually just did the yoga teaching there as part of like my teaching in the school. But um, then in Canada, uh, when I got there, because the village, <laughs> the town, there there wasn't that much scope for my line of work, so I ended up working in a cafe and teaching yoga then in the studio uh, initially, until I kind of got my full time job. Uh, so and I kept the yoga teaching on there. So yeah, I came back uh, with that in the pocket, which was nice. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I know you have your your own YouTube channel now for athletes as well. And maybe you know, it's a good it's a good stopping point for us for you to talk about your yoga that you do now. And how important yoga can be for athletes. Um, I know myself, Laura, over the last couple of weeks, the, the listeners know well at this stage, I've been telling them about it, the trouble that I had this summer after being on the bike for eight weeks in lockdown here in Gran Canaria. And I just tightened up my hip flexors, tightened up the hamstrings, or maybe lengthened them, I'm not too sure. Um, and I've been doing a bit of yoga myself, and it's been fantastic. It's been really enjoyable. And maybe you can talk to us about the benefits of yoga for runners, especially all of us runners who have been 10, 15, 20 years pounding on the roads, running up and down mountains. I'm sure our bodies are in a terrible state. And from what I've read and from what I've seen on your own Facebook posts and so on, yoga can be a great help. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess even from my own experience, I kind of went back to that that whole uh, being ego-driven the yoga kind of stops you in your tracks and kind of gets you a little bit more in tune with your body. Like, so apart from like the obvious benefits of like the, you know, the flexibility and the uh, mobilization of your joints and the strengthening and all that, the, the actual body awareness uh, is, I find for athletes, just like precious, you know, like where, where you know, you're maybe you're constantly injuring on one side and, and but you never kind of take the time to, figure out why that is like or you keep going to the physio you keep going to the physical therapist to get a rub or you know but you're not really getting to the root cause whereas with yoga because it's with the type of yoga I teach personally it's kind of more like a slow controlled movement so you really are relying on your your stabilizers and when they're not working you you'll notice that within your body like so you're falling over or you're not holding your your body strong or whatever so I find that one of the best benefits for athletes actually be becoming more in tune with what's going on with their body and listening to the body and like slowing down because you do. I know if, if, if you're like me going around hell, hell for leather and just tearing around like and not really yeah. taking stock. Um, 
the other part like for runners what I find is like when I'm not practicing the yoga I well I mean I do injure but it's it's more so I feel that I'm not as strong like in my my core like say my form isn't the same so I find when I'm practicing yoga that I can hold that form for a lot longer which really transfers great for this like endurance um running or any any sport really endurance sport because you, you tend to be able to hold your form for a lot longer and you're more aware of how you're carrying yourself and you can kind of touch into that so do you know that's kind of the the more hidden benefits like people can automatically think of the, the flexibility and the strength and whatnot which it does have um and then there's the whole focus the mental side of it and um, the breath work like i'll have i, I can go into that dark place like <laughs> um and that's Indeed. definitely uh, a good side effect of the yoga because when you're practicing you, you really yeah you're you're there you can't really think of it now so you fall over do you know like so it's it's yeah. really good for just gaining that kind of mental focus and um yeah mental strength uh even as opposed to the physical like so yeah sure. and, and any tips laura say on how somebody can get started because as you said we're all running around we're all busy with jobs kids and then we're all trying to squeeze in our training as well. And if we have the chance, or if we only have the option between going for a run or doing a yoga class, is it a question of just having the discipline to say, okay, this week I'm going to run five times, but maybe I need to do something like a yoga class so I can run the other five days okay and I can get to my start line of my race. Um, is it just a bit of mental strength required and a bit of belief and maybe a bit of a leap of faith to go, yeah, I need to dedicate one day a week or, t- or twice a week if we can to make sure I'm running for the other days when I do want to run? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm guilty myself of not not making the time for the stuff that probably is what I should be doing more like I I know personally I keep saying I need to dedicate more time to to strength work which I get I I do get from the yoga but like more specific strength work I avoid and I'm like nah but I want to go for a run or I want to do my yoga session I want to go for a bike but really in the long term that that one hour of yoga um could be you know the savior of your injuring (laughs) like so I I instead of saying I don't have time you do have time it's just like how you choose to to use it and like you could go for a junk hour running you know like just junk miles and replace it with but I guess what I would say starting off is it is very good to go to a class obviously it's a little bit difficult at the moment with the whole COVID situation but I think it is really good to go to an actual teacher so they can see how you're doing it so it's like swimming you think you're flying and then you look at yourself in the video and you're you're <laughs> it looks like you're drowning you know and it's the same with yoga you can kind of think that you're going through a pose but you could actually be doing it very wrong so it is good to get somebody to look at you but what I would say even starting off like is not to think about it doesn't have to be a full hour like a full hour is hard to commit for anyone you know and especially if you have work and family and training and everything but like just start with like 15 minutes like I would say 15 minutes three times a week is more valuable than one hour I shouldn't be saying this because I want everyone to come to my classes but (laughs) in your own practice definitely like just break it down that you have like you know even 10 minutes a day um that it's more continual because if you if you just do your hour and like it's good to do the hour but you still want to be doing something outside that because you could do an hour every monday but you're you're kind of like it's the same with like when you get a, a massage you are actually um 
what's the word? I won't say tearing your muscles to, to re-engage. Mm. You'll feel sore the next day, but you'll keep feeling sore every week because you're not maintaining it, you know? So that, that's, that would be my advice is starting out, like not to think that it has to be a full hour, it has to be two hours a week. Just break it down into little chunks. And there's loads of good resources out there. Um, YouTube, I mean, the YouTube channel I set up initially, it was just a reaction to COVID. I had a lot of people coming to my classes um, when I was in the studio and then the lockdown happened and initially the YouTube was just there for them um, just to keep them going because I kind of thought it was only going to be for a month or two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, well, I know from my own experience that when you go to say YouTube and you type in yoga, literally thousands of videos come up and that can be a little bit stressful a little bit overwhelming oh which one will i do which one is going to help me so like what i would say to people listening in or is actually to go to your youtube channel because just remove all the choice remove all the noise from the thousands of other youtube and um, yoga videos that are there because you're a runner you've you've gone through what what we're all going through and i saw a lot of your videos there yesterday and, and they were excellent and great great tips for for runners that are out there how long um would it be before a runner could see the benefit of say doing their one hour a week class whether it's yourself or looking at videos maybe following up at two or three times a week as well if they can uh, how soon can you see success success and can you actually fix you know an interior pelvic tilt that i have can you fix dodgy hamstrings and so on um, can, can you reverse 10 years of pounding on roads absolutely <laughs> that was funny here <laughs> um no like i would say it really depends on where you're at you could you, there's no specific time everything's going to be totally different i mean if you're quite tight i think i was saying this to you earlier i, I would see the biggest differences with my cyclists when they come to classes because a lot of them would be extremely tight from holding that same position on the bike from from for hours on end um, so they will see more immediate effects because they, they might be a little bit tighter. And depending on what kind of conditioning you've been doing yourself, like maybe you have been doing a bit of stretch and a bit of strength work, you know, so you're probably not going to see the effects as immediate. But um, most of the athletes that come to me would, their feedback would be that they would feel that relief even after a class or two. But it really depends on, you know, what you're working with. I'd always say, like, if you're very tight in the hips, you will feel some release. You'll definitely feel the effects in one class, but it's maintaining that and, and coming back. Things like your anterior pelvic tilt, yeah, like definitely the stretching um, into the hips is going to be good, but really strengthening and working the muscles around what's what's happening, um, like, you know, stabilizing as opposed to just, because as athletes, we actually do want to maintain a little bit of contractile tissue, you know, so if you just um, continue uh, stretching isn't going to help you necessarily as an athlete, you need to think about, well, why is this so tight? And then are the surrounding muscles weakened because this is so tight? So something like your hamstrings where they might feel really tight, it's actually that they've been over lengthened. And maybe instead of stretching into your hamstrings, it's strength work that you need to do, which you can get through yoga as well. Or you maybe need some more specific strength work, you know, with a strength conditioning coach. So it really depends on the person what the effects are going to be. And and sometimes like I, I would do one to one sessions, which can be really helpful, you know, because when you're in a class, you're teaching to the general and you're, you're kind of given as much information as you can, but until you actually work with a person one-on-one -on -one, uh, and really kind of find the, the, the root cause of their issues, it's hard to, 
to know how they're going to respond to a class you know okay and that's on the physical side and we've touched a little bit on the the mental side laura and how how does it balance up between that those moments of zen when you're you know i don't know if that's the right word even apologies if not Uh, just when, when you're when you're at one and you're peaceful in your yoga routine and so on but then you're in the heat of battle and you've been in the heat of battle over the last couple of years winning 50k road titles winning 50 mile ultra races super results in the Wicklow way as well you, you recently won the Kerry way light so when you're in these moments when you're battling with the competitor beside you are you getting all pumped up is the adrenaline running or are you going back to your your yoga room and going back to peace and tranquility and is that getting you through the physical pain. Um, I'm fascinated just to hear how you balance it up and, and how you got rid of Mr. Ego, as you mentioned at the start of the interview. <laughs> I, I, uh, I like to think I got rid of Mr. Ego, but he does come back now and again. I wouldn't say he's totally out of the picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I do, I guess, um, I'm very much kind of uh, of the mindset of, you know, you can only control so much. So you can't control what's going on with your competitors or what training they've done or how they are on the day. So I'd be very much like, although you're competing and, you know, I've got my nemesis <laughs> and I actually love when they turn up because you get a good race. But at yeah. the end of the day, um, like I do kind of, I try not to, to lose the slot. Like if I'm, if I'm failing <laughs> as such, like it's just kind of, coming back to yourself and going right why am I here like am I enjoying this like that's a big thing with me I don't really get into like I'm definitely serious like you know when I when I get to competing but at the end of the day if I start getting all stressed out and I'm really suffering and I'm really not enjoying it I do start to question like and I do come back to that kind of just tuning in with myself and kind of telling myself to cop on or whatever like you know that this is supposed to be fun like and yeah yeah yeah. it's a fantastic approach and and I'd say during the week, would you have a structured training um, routine during the week with, I don't know, an hour on a Monday, sessions on a Tuesday, long running on a Sunday, or do do you just totally mix it up? It really depends um, on what's coming up. Um, This year has been a total, uh, I don't know, doozy, I don't know, because it, you know, I, like, I, I had, when I was training for the 50k, like Donna D., I had structure. I actually got Gary O'Hanlon to do me a program for the few months because I, I lack structure and also for the pacing because I've um, a habit of just going hell for leather from the start and just hoping to hold on for dear life. Like so that wasn't going to happen. Fifty k, um, you know, flat flatter run. So that was really good, and I actually enjoyed following the structure. I didn't think I would, but I, I really did. Uh, uh, there was a lot of running. Um, which there will be for a 50k but I, I like to break it up with cycling and, and okay. like I don't compete with swimming anymore like I haven't done a triathlon in quite a while but I love the swimming for um, like I just enjoy it and I just find it very nice on the body like um, like for my recovery but you're still getting a little bit of aerobic as well and the bike generally what I'll do I'll, I'll run and bike alternate days um, but if I am specific run training, like say for the 50k, I kind of had to cut back on the bike quite a lot because I was finding I wasn't able to meet my paces like in speed sessions and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. This year, like since the 50k and since everything kind of went AWOL, 
there's been no structure. I've just been enjoying my training and picking races and hoping that they'll happen. Um, a lot of it, I was supposed to go to Nepal there back in May and that had been a big focus of mine for a few years. And I was that's kind of why I kind of picked a lot of um, longer runs and I was over in the Alps last summer and doing a lot of like do, doing the Tour de Mont Blanc and the Tour de Mont Rosa and whatnot. But uh, that kind of went bellies up. So then since then, um, I've just been, yeah, enjoying adventures kind of. And then when races come up, hoping that they'll go ahead and just so picking my train around that, like the last couple of races weren't really um, planned um, to ultras. And uh, the body's just been going from tapering to recovery. So, so I feel like I haven't done any proper running training um, in the last couple of months because of that, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it's refreshing to hear in one way, Laura, talk about your training because I think mountain and trail runners that come from a road running and track background it's all about the miles and the kilometers and getting out running every day where i think the, the more and more that i talk to successful trail and mountain runners now is that they're not actually running every day they're combining it with the bike you even mentioned swimming as well and to be successful in mountain running and trail running and um, you can get on the bike and you can go cycling and you'll get great benefit of it on the hills. Um, yeah. So it's certainly not just about junk miles, as you touched upon earlier in the interview. Um, we've seen, Laura, that you've, you've conquered Australia, you've conquered Canada, um, you've conquered Ireland in the last two years as well, with all those great race wins. Um, what about conquering the world, Laura? And what I, what I mean by that is, and I'm serious, that you have this, you have this incredible talent incredible talent and um, how ambitious are you how far do you think you can go or do you even allow yourself to think that way and what i mean by that is i heard you mention utmb do you think you could go over to utmb and get a top 10 do you even think about it would you like to run for ireland in the in the trail and mountain running world championships what what do you think your limits are um <laughs> I just, I, you mentioned UTMB. Um, I guess like part of, I mean, I went to the Alps last year as kind of um, part of the training for Nepal and a friend of mine, Niall, joined me for the, we just did the Tour de Mont Blanc, but over like four days. And I really enjoyed it. But actually after it, it kind of put me off doing UTMB, like the full, I wouldn't mind doing CC because it's so beautiful that I just want to do it in the dark. I want to enjoy it. I don't want to suffer. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I kind of have to sit back. I wouldn't say it's not on the cards, but um, from doing it as as a recce as such, um, it kind of it kind of uh, it, I would say ignited the, the bug or no put, put the flame out. A but, but, bit. No, what about going to win it? <laughs> Forget about enjoying it because. These results are incredible. And do, do, do you think about going over to try and, and win it or, or come in the top three? Or, or do you avoid thinking that I way? I don't really think about it, to be honest. Like, I guess um, it's funny because um, I was telling my sister, she's, she lives over in Reno in Nevada, and she was always yeah. on, like about doing the Western States, and she'd be my crew. This was like going on for years. And I was like, ah, no, I'll wait, I'll wait till I've done all the, the shorter, fast stuff and maybe someday, but then I saw from the Kerryway Ultra is going to be a qualifier. So that was reignited recently. And, uh, but like, no, like I don't really have any, 
like Nepal was a big thing for me. That was the, the Himal 2020. So it was like, a, it's only run every four years. So that's why there was kind of a build up to it. Sure. And it's like a multi-day foot race. So over like 26 days, you've about a thousand K um, at altitude. And something like that, conquering that interests me more than a win. Do you know? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a winner of it, but I don't think there's a prize. But I love that. I think it's the journey, to be honest, like not to sound cheesy about it, but sure. like yeah. the win obviously is great. Like, but for me, it's more about the experience than the journey and just loving it, enjoying it. Like, and yeah, uh, yeah. Any, any interest in running for Ireland lore at all? Um, can, can I get the Imre um, <laughs> competition guys to give you a call to try and get you signed up for an Irish team? oh yeah I mean absolutely you know I mean like I am competitive don't get me wrong like and you know I do enjoy that side to it too like so absolutely but it's not I don't really have a kind of a a bucket list as such like every year I hear something else I'm like oh that sounds great like Cape Wrath that sounds interesting to me like um Ultra Tour de Mont Rosa actually probably appeals to me more than uh, UTMB because it's a little there's less people doing it um, I kind of tend to stay away from the massively commercial races uh, and I think maybe it's going back, I'm, not that I'm, I'm against Ironman but um, I, I don't really like the, the bigger kind of commercial kind of um, style races and I think UTMB has gotten, I shouldn't say this probably because I'll, I'll probably get slapped in the hand but I think it's gotten quite like that. Um, yeah, it, it is. I've been there myself the last couple of years, Laura, and I can honestly say that it is a wonderful, wonderful week of trail running, yeah. but it is like a, a summit of all the major brands in the trail world as well. Yeah. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it takes away from the week, but, but, but you, you'll see all the pro athletes there and all the big sponsors around Chamonix and so on, which some people might like it, some people might not, um, but as you said as well, it is a beautiful, beautiful place to go run to. Oh, um, and I can tell you, Lord, there's, there's lots of athletes going around with professional contracts that wouldn't have the same set of results that you have as well. Um, so if you did go there one year, I'd love to see you. I'd love to see you really, <laughs> really kick some European ass over there because uh, and you, you would do the, the Irish flag proud if you did go over, I'm sure. Um, Laura, it sounds like you're in a wonderful place right now and I wish you all the best with your yoga classes Laura if anybody does want to reach out to you and either with a private consultation or join join one of your excellent yoga for athletes classes how can they do it um well I mean there I do have the YouTube channel but to contact me directly just via Facebook really um I am on Instagram but I'm not very active on it um, but you can contact me on, on Instagram or or just uh, yeah my Facebook. It's just me running down Crow Patrick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, and Lord, the, the final question that we ask everybody on the show: um, What's your favourite place to train in? Probably where I am right now. So uh, I recently actually moved house. But I'm from Dundalk and I just moved out the road a bit closer to Carlingford so the Cooley Mountains here in Louth is a little mecca but I'm trying to keep it a secret so I'm not very good at doing that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I love I love uh, I've always loved coming home to the Cooleys and um, would have done a lot of hiking uh, with my dad and that and my sister growing up and um, so yeah the Cooleys hands down 
Brilliant, brilliant. Well, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, it's been the first time that we've spoken as well, and and I look forward to the seeing you in person, hopefully at the start line of a race in the not too distant future. And in the meantime, I'll be checking out your YouTube um, hip flexors video later on tonight. So, uh, Laura, thanks a million for for joining us on the Trail Running Ireland podcast. Great stuff. Thanks a million for having me on. That's a wrap for episode 13 everybody our longest episode yet and i do hope that you enjoyed it thank you as always to simon and renee for their input and a big thank you to laura o'driscoll for that wonderful interview a shout out to noel and the team at the dublin trail running festival as well don't forget to go back to our show intro to find details of how you can win a free entry to the sold out dublin trail running festival in november and we'll announce the competition winner next time in episode 14. well done again to sarah mccormick and Zach Hanna on their excellent results in Italy over the weekend and remember everybody that despite the controversial move through the levels that's looking likely this week we can still get out and run we can leave the mobile behind we can stop the scrolling and hit those mountains and trails and if not there's plenty of local parks that we can enjoy as well so everybody let's get our running gear on and let's go Bye.